Welcome back to Fleshing It Out with Samantha Spittle. This month, we are tackling the shame trigger of trauma. And of course, this is something we are just scratching the surface and having some conversations to normalize things that are often unspeakable. And so because this is so serious and can be so heavy, I encourage you to seek out uh, professional resources. You can check our VIP page for coaches and, of course, therapists and other forms of safe support. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Phil Goldstein, author and poet of the book, How to Bury a Boy at Sea. I'm extremely grateful for Phil, not only writing his book, but coming on the podcast to talk about something extremely personal, but also extremely important. And I truly believe that everyone needs to have more open conversations about childhood sexual abuse because the numbers are staggering. And if it has not affected you, I guarantee it's affected someone you love. And being able to talk about it, I think, is really important. And so I just am extremely grateful for Phil. As I say in the podcast, I'm not excited to talk about this, but I'm extremely grateful to increase awareness and understanding and more importantly, healing. So join us as we flesh it out. Today is, it's hard to use the word exciting and to be excited when we're talking about such a heavy topic, but the reason I say excited and exciting is because this is something we've dealt with and have walked through and to have someone that has is walking and is passionate about it is extremely liberating. And it's kind of a full circle moment of, oh my gosh, it really does, you know, to be able to talk about the things that people don't talk about is extremely um, comforting. So thank you. Sure. Well, um, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, to be completely honest, I mean, I think that one of the reasons why I wrote my book uh, is to provide um, support and insight and um, hopefully some healing. um, If I can do that for one person, you know, awesome, fantastic job accomplished. If I can do that for more than one person, even better. And so uh, I really hope that um, it has provided some measure of comfort and and hopefully will in the future. Um, That's really a core reason why um, I wrote the book and why I'm so passionate about talking about it and about this topic. Yeah. Um, So today, you know, this whole idea of trauma, childhood sexual abuse, there's just so many facets, so many layers to it. And so why don't you start out by telling us a little bit, you know, kind of maybe more specifically your book, because it's a book of poetry. Sure. Uh, So my book is called How to Bury a Boy at Sea, and it is going to be available um, officially April 5th from Stillhouse Press, but it is on sale um, now, as we're recording in mid-March, it's available for pre-order, uh, but its official release date is April 5th. And like you said, it's a book of poetry. It's my debut poetry collection. And um, I wrote um, the first kind of batch of poems that um, you know became the foundation for the book in 2018. Uh, when I was just starting therapy to deal with um, the abuse that I'd experienced when I was a boy um, and 
Um, you know, I've subsequently, you know, added a lot, edited a lot. Um, and now that the book is coming out and I would say that it's most obviously for people who are survivors of child sexual abuse and especially men. Um, but honestly, the target audience that I have in mind is much broader than that because all of those people are connected to lots of other people. They have partners who are very integral and connected elements of the healing and recovery journey that happens when you, you start to unpack the trauma of CSA. Um, it's a book that hopefully will appeal to therapists and counselors um, and people who you know professionally work to help those who are recovering from child sexual abuse uh, you know the more people um, and you know young and adolescent men especially who uh, I can reach with the book um, earlier on I think you know the better off um, the world will be because as you know you know, uh, oftentimes survivors of child sexual abuse wait a really long time to disclose that they've been abused if they ever disclose. Uh, you know, I say this really often when I'm talking about this and uh, I'll repeat it here, but I was just so astounded to learn, um, you know, uh, a few years ago that the average age of disclosure of child sexual abuse, uh, at least according to Child USA, is 52 years old. Uh, so 52 on average, which means that there are plenty of people who, you know, wait until they're in their 60s or 70s or 80s to talk about it. And unfortunately, lots of people go to their grave having never told anyone about being abused. Um, and so, yeah, I hope that the book uh, is a tool that can be used to uh, help break the silence. Uh, I hope that people obviously appreciate the aesthetics of the poems themselves, but, um, you know, I do have this uh, larger hopeful goal for it. Definitely. And I mean, I remember when you and I had our first conversation offline and you shared with me that the average age of um, disclosing that information is 52 and it, in the same, it blew me away. And at the same time, didn't surprise me in the sense that there's just so much that we don't talk about and stigma and whatnot. And so I know that a big part of the book is kind of this wanting to normalize the conversation, um, bring it into conversations, you know, because this is not something that's talked about. Um, most abusers, um, this is not a statistic, I'd have to Google it real quick, but I just know, you know, that, you know, any type of um, sexual abuse is most, it's usually someone people know. And I think that makes it so hard to talk about, to report. And so there's just so many different layers. So with what you're doing and wanting to, as I said, normalize the conversation, I guess, what are some of the things you want to, to for people to know or to bring, bring into the world, you know? bring out of the dark. You know, for me, I talk a lot about living our life in the light and bringing things, uh, shining a light onto those dark places. Uh, I mean, there's, there's lots of things, you know, I think that the first thing I would say is that it is totally normal and completely understandable 
for people who have been sexually abused as children to not talk about it for a really long time, um, to not tell their parents or uh, relatives or, you know, uh, adults who were authority figures in their lives at the time of the abuse, um, especially if the person who's abusing them is uh, another family member or somebody close to the family, whether, um, you know, that's a clergy person or uh, a close family friend, the young mind is not made to be or capable of comprehending and being able to articulate that kind of trauma. Um, you know, you often dissociate when you're being abused like that and your mind kind of shuts down as a survival mechanism. Um, and so, you know, uh, even if you have uh, a vague recollection and understanding of what happened, you might not be, you know, fully aware yourself of, of what's been done to you. Uh, and so that's one layer of it. And then there's just the sense of dislocation and shame and fear. Um, and there are all kinds of factors that, that play into that, you know, and vary from person to person and situation to situation. But uh, you add all of it up and you get a child who's been traumatized, uh, who doesn't have the emotional wherewithal or vocabulary to articulate what's happened to them, uh, who is very fearful of disclosing, uh, fearful that they're going to be um, harmed potentially by the person who's abused them, fearful that they're going to be uh, blamed or shamed for what's happened to them. And, you know, I think that those are really powerful inhibiting factors, um, no matter who's been abused. And then for men in particular, uh, I do think that because of the way that uh, our society, certainly in the United States and in lots of, um, you know, in lots of countries, honestly, all over the world, it's not really to me an East or a West thing. Um, there's this pervasive idea of what masculinity means. And it's all centered around this idea of being strong and fighting and uh, being aggressive and not taking shit from anybody and not letting anything bad happen to you or the people around you. And so, you know, if you are a boy who's been sexually abused, um, your experience runs completely counter to that uh, because someone did harm you, did take advantage of you, and you were not in a position to consent to what was being done to you, and you were not in a position to uh, really fight back. And so, you know, as you grow up in a society where there's this idea of what it means to be a real man that's, you know, coming at you from uh, your family, from culture, um, you know, from your friends, from movies and TV, from books. Why would you want to, you know, sort of mark yourself as other, especially if you're somebody who was, 
prepubescent or uh, going through puberty while you've been abused, it's a really vulnerable time uh, in general, regardless of whether or not um, you've been abused. And so layering that on is just another added difficulty. And so I think that that stigma is unfortunately still really pervasive and it inhibits a lot of people from coming forward and men in particular. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point about, you know, the masculinity or the um, perception and whatnot. And as you were talking, it, it made me think of a couple things, which is one, you know, the, there's the numbers, you know, of how many, um, statistically, but we're, you know, and, and I'm not sure if it's one in six or whatnot. Um, cause you heard yours was, I think one in 10 or 12 when we were talking and we had read somewhere one in six, but either way it's underreported. I mean, I'm confident I'm not a scientist, but I am very confident that it's underreported and I th- I'm wondering. And so I just would love to get your take on this from the, you know, stories I've heard and, you know, witnessed and, you know, just have been able to to know, I think that what makes childhood sexual abuse so complicated is that it doesn't look like, for example, like rape in a movie, you know, it's not, it's, there's so much manipulation and um, predatory behavior, you know? So if you, um, I'd love to have, just have your thoughts on that, you know, kind of how that plays into all of it for people. Cause I, I guess the point is, it's like, I'm, I think, how many people don't know that they were victims of sexual abuse is kind of, I guess, what I'm processing through in my head right now. Sure. I mean, lots, um, you know, uh, I don't have an exact statistic to pull up um, to, to mind either, but, um, you know, I do completely agree that um, whether it's one in six or one in 13 boys, um, you know, I think that's um, an underreporting. Uh, I think that because sexual abuse can take so many different forms um, and there are so many different gradations, it's hard to, um, you know, uh, until some time has passed often to look back and realize, wow, that was abuse. And, you know, I think it's important to note that child sexual abuse, again, it, it covers a really wide range of contact and activities. It's not just, you know, uh, rape or fondling or, you know, forced oral sex or forced masturbation. It could be things like showing a child pornography mm-hmm. that, you know, they are way too young to be exposed to and can't really consent to be seeing, you know, in addition to being molested by my older brother, you know, that's something that happened to me when I was like nine or 10, mm-hmm. um, you know, or 11. Um, and I think that it's, it's really important to get away from these kind of black and white notions of this is what abuse looks like, or, well, if it wasn't rape, how bad could it have been, you know, um, and these really kind of harmful stereotypes, misperceptions, I'm not sure what the right word is for understanding not only what child sexual abuse is, but what trauma is and how trauma, um, you know, affects a child. Um, You know, I think it's really important to note that, you know, yes, there are often 
visible signs of trauma responses in children, you know, things like being withdrawn, not doing well in school, lashing out, doing drugs. And, you know, obviously those self-destructive behaviors can continue into adolescence and adulthood, but there are plenty of other trauma responses that look nothing like that. It could be a feeling like for me, like you have to be perfect. Like you have to pretend like nothing is wrong uh, because you're worried about slipping up and then people finding out Mm -hmm. uh, or feeling like you need to um, be a people pleaser and please everybody because you're worried like you were with your abuser that if you don't please them and do what they want you to do, something bad is going to happen to you. Um, These trauma responses get wired into your nervous system and your brain when you are, you know, uh, a young person who's, who's been abused or been through trauma and it then ripples out into your life. You know, I'm not a um, medical doctor or a therapist or an expert in CPTSD, but I have been through a lot of therapy and I know enough to know that, that um, there are such a wide range of responses to trauma. And um, unfortunately, not all of them are going to be visible or sort of fit into the kind of obvious rubric of, oh yeah, this is somebody who, you know, has been through trauma. I can tell because, you know, they are uh, withdrawn or engaged in X, Y, or Z self-destructive behaviors. I think there's so many responses to trauma, as you said, you know, it could be overcompensating or under, you know, it's like, there's no exact, um, exact path that you could, could label that. So you talk about, you know, with effects of trauma. And so with your story, you talk a lot in the book, you know, about your experience and then also the support of your wife and how she helped walk through that. So what would you say, you know, for people listening, I think that, you know, as you said, your book, your story is for people. And the reason I also want to share it, it's for, you know, for survivors to help with their healing. It's for those who love them to support them. And statistically, no matter what it is, I guarantee everyone listening knows someone who was affected by childhood sexual abuse, unfortunately. And so that being said, what are ways that um, your wife supported you so that if someone listening, you know, walks through this and like I said, chances are, you might not know that this is part of your partner's story because mm-hmm. it's so tragic and underreported. So, uh, I mean, she has supported me in so many ways, every way, um, you know, she is honestly the one who first really pushed me to um, seek therapy, um, not knowing that I had been abused. You know, we were having a lot of issues in our relationship related to sex and intimacy. And she was like, look, uh, you need to talk to somebody and figure this out. Um, otherwise, you know, uh, I don't know what's going to happen to us as, as a couple. And I was really scared of losing her and motivated to try and figure it out. And you know, that's honestly when I first started coming to terms and, you know, um, filling out on a form for, for a therapist that I had been abused and eventually started talking about it. Um, you know, she was 
incredibly supportive um, in the immediate aftermath of me telling her about it, just, you know, uh, reading books and reading articles and trying to find out everything that she could about incest and trauma and child sexual abuse and what she could do as a partner to help. Um, you know, she has been incredibly patient, um, unbelievably so. And I will be forever grateful for that patient in terms of me working through things in terms of um, things related to our sex life going up and down. Yeah, I, I, I would not be here. I don't think that the, the book would be here without her. She really encouraged me to think about collecting poems into something that could be a book. Um, you know, she has been my staunchest defender and my, my partner, my ally. Uh, I can't really put into words how supportive and tremendous she's been. And, you know, it's, uh, somebody asked me recently when I was talking about this, you know, did it get worse before it got better? after you disclose the abuse to her? And the answer is yes. Um, you know, things unfortunately got a lot worse because the messy process of dealing with the abuse and the aftermath and my family's response to me disclosing it to them uh, was really kind of uh, all-consuming for, um, you know, quite a while, I would say, a year and a half to two years after uh, I first told her. And so, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it for anybody who is listening to this, who's going through this or may someday go through this. Like it's, it's really shitty. Um, it's, I was going to say it's really hard, <laughs> really it's, it's, hard. It's really hard. Um, I completely agree with that. It's really hard for everybody. Um, and I, I I just want to say it, it, it's really hard for everybody in the sense that it's hard for the person who's been abused. It's hard for their partner. It's hard for their family who likely had no knowledge of the abuse um, when it was going on and, and not until it was disclosed to them. So it's hard for everybody. I think that it's, it's about what you do and how you respond after you break the silence and come to terms with it. And some people uh, unfortunately deal with that in better and more productive ways than others. Um, you know, we, we can get into this, um, but I will just say that uh, Jenny, my wife has been so incredibly tremendous and supportive and um, without her love and support, um, I would not be in the place that I am today. Well, I'm grateful for her and her support of you. And I really appreciate you commenting on how hard it is because I think that one reason with shame, what shame tells us, no matter what the topic is, is it says you are better off keeping this part of you hidden. Your life will be better if you do not expose this truth. And I think that, you know, sexual abuse is huge in that. And, you know, whether it's because it gets 
you, as you mentioned earlier, you dissociate or you don't realize what it was, but tackling it, um, it's really, really hard, but I think you're here and I, I, and just in my own life, been walking it out, even though it's really hard, it's also really worth it. And I can say that from my position, being in a supportive role and especially being how much um, trauma has come from all of it. You know, it's, it's almost like a, when there's an explosion, you know, and, and the rumbles get hit, there's a lot of shrapnel, I think, with a lot of things, but still to say it's worth it. So I'd love for you to speak on that because um, even though it's really hard, it's really worth it too. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I think that confronting this and reckoning with it and dealing with not just what happened, but the aftermath of me speaking about it was, has been, probably will be the hardest thing that I ever do in my life. Um, but I can't imagine my life or a world in which I continue to remain silent. Um, you know, I was talking uh, online a little bit ago with a gentleman who um, bought my book. He lives in the UK and he was telling me that, um, you know, he himself was, was also abused sexually as, as a boy and has told his wife and his best friend and no one else yet. And he's in his late fifties and I just can't imagine going another 20 or 30 years having this inside of me and not telling anybody, um, you know, I have grown so much as a person, as a writer, um, since I disclosed, um, you know, my, relationship with my partner has improved my relationship to the sex has improved um my relationship to myself has improved and uh, again i'm not saying it's all um you know rainbows and unicorns and, and butterflies because it's not um and it, things can still be really tough sometimes um in a lot of ways in terms of my personality and you know, how, just how I am, um, you know, I think that sometimes I'm forgetful and not all there. And sometimes I'm thinking too much about myself and sometimes I'm not listening well enough. Um, but I definitely think that I'm a better person. I'm a better partner for having talked about this and, and gotten it off my chest. Definitely to recap a few things that I heard. So, you know, for people listening, um, if they are supporting someone walking through that. And as I said, you never know when you are going to be in this position because this is not something, um, you know, that you, that you know about, you know, and whether it's this crisis or any crisis. And so you actually said it in one of your poems. Um, and I've talked a lot about this just because sharing your story, um, said, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Thank you for trusting me with that information. Now that's in your, this is my story poem. And I think that that for me is like the first step for when someone shares some really heavy stuff is just acknowledging the, the heaviness of it and um, the trust that someone places in you. And um, you also mentioned her reading, reading books and trying to educate herself on it. I think 
you know, for me personally, that has, that was really, really helpful because there's just so much, there's just so much to it. And so trying to understand as much as, as you can, I think is a great resource. Mm -hmm. Some of the books that I know that she read were like healing the incest wound. Um, You know, that's obviously particular to to incest. Um, But uh, you know, there are a lot of great books, you know, for men specifically like um, abused boys and uh, beyond betrayal, but there's just, um, there's a whole wealth of books and, and knowledge out there. You know, the body keeps the score. Um, there's a new memoir that just came out um, that I haven't read yet, but want to called uh, What My Bones Know. And it's about CPTSD. Um, so, you know, all kinds of resources out there. Definitely. Um, that's one thing I've said is, you know, you aren't the first person that this has happened to you know, whoever is listening, that this could, that this could be part of their life. Um, And that's unfortunate, but the, the plus side is that there's resources available. So you don't have to walk this road alone. Um, You know, if um, people have listened to the podcast early on, when we kicked it off, we used to have, you know, I would have the conversations and then my sound editor and producer and also husband would join in. We'd kind of have an after show. And so we kind of thought today we would do an after show, but kind of part of the show so, Jeremy, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, Phil. Hey, Jeremy. I know we met just, you know, half an hour or so ago, but uh, it's good to finally just see you, meet you. Um, I also read your book, which was beautiful. Thank you. I mean, thank you for writing it, first of all, because it's um, it is an important conversation to to bring up, um, I mean, I've, I've shared my story with Samantha and close friends and multiple therapists, <laughs> but never, you know, publicly stated. I've been a little apprehensive about it. We're still on that wound, you know, with, yeah, but- they say to share from a scar, not a wound. And I think that one reason we were, you know, I was very grateful, as I said, in the beginning of the podcast is that you know, this is something for a few years you've been walking through. Um, and it's funny because you said it was about a year and a half, two years, and we're at about two and a half years. And yeah. it's something that when you go through something and it's such a big part of your life, it hits so deep. Um, and then especially the irony of like having this podcast started before any of this other stuff came about, it's been something that we've both felt called to um want to speak on, but not knowing the right time and whatnot. So we're kind of in that, you know, I guess you'd call it the messy middle where. I'd say we're on the the downhill slope of the the hill. So thank you for being a part of our journey of kind of navigating this. So sure. I mean, and I, I think that another thing to convey to your listeners and that I'm sure both of you know, is that, you know, the healing journey is not uh, a linear progression or path. And there's lots of ups and downs and, you know, sliding backward and two step forward, one step back. And, you know, hopefully, obviously over time, you know, if there's a progression toward healing and, and then, you know, post-traumatic growth. Um, but it's, it's not a easy, uh, or, you know, straight path. And so I think it's important to emphasize that and to give 
both of yourselves, you know, some grace when it comes to, um, you know, that, that journey. It's, it's yeah. not easy. As we said, it's, it's really fucking hard. And anybody that's kind of will be going through the, the same or similar journey uh, are going through it now that, that, that is important to understand that it's the nobody, nobody's experience is exactly like anybody else's and nobody's journey um, is exactly like anybody else's. So hundred percent. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, just your story and my story are very similar. I was sexually abused as a child around the same age by my older brother came to terms with it a little bit later in life, but better late than never, I think mm-hmm. for sure. And, um, so just reading your book was cathartic. There were some poems that I could really, really feel the anger. You know, I know that anger that I, I don't know if it, if, if the, the poems came from a place of anger, but at least they, they brought it, that feeling up in me. There were a lot of feelings that, um, your poetry brought up in me, which I think is really important. Um, there's an aspect to the journey that I've gone through of being able to name feelings. No, I, I, a lot of what you're saying, you know, really resonates with me. Um, I think that I also um, consciously or unconsciously was in a position where I couldn't feel my feelings or felt like I couldn't express how I was actually feeling for fear of what would happen to me or fear of the reaction from my parents. And, you know, after I told them, they said, you know, of course we wouldn't have, you know, done anything. Of course we would have supported you. And um, unfortunately they weren't super supportive of me as an adult after I disclosed Um, they didn't really want to delve into the past and how and why this happened and what was going on in our family while the abuse was happening. Um, But I think that it's kind of besides the point, which is I, as a child, you know, felt like I couldn't tell them. And isn't that in and of itself worth exploring? Why was it that I felt like I couldn't? And, um, you know, I, I don't think that they wanted to, to touch those things because it would have been too messy to open up that can of worms. Yeah. Um, that's definitely, you know, one of the, the joys of, of writing it um, is to, to see which poems resonate with people. Well, um, even, the, uh, even just the title of the book, How to Bury a Boy at Sea, without even having read the book, and, and I know that's the, the last poem in the book, which I, I really enjoyed, uh, that poem, but just the the title itself. I remember after having brought all this stuff up in therapy and and starting to to dig into um, my trauma and and everything. I had a dream, and I remember it still because um, <laughs> I, I saw you had that one pulled up called luggage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was in the middle of a body of water. There's a lake, I think. Um, 
and I was carrying luggage and the luggage just pulled me down mm-hmm. way down into the, the, the lake. And I, and that's when I woke up because I didn't want to drown, mm-hmm. but, um, but I remember waking up and, and thinking about it and there was some meaning around that dream of just, I've, I've been drowning with this, this baggage for, for such a long time. And you, you and Samantha were talking earlier about how important it is to try to um, get that average age of 52 down some. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, I think it would be beneficial if, if people could work on this, this trauma and it's not just childhood sexual abuse, it's any trauma really, but work Mm -hmm. at it at a younger age at, at, but an age, you know, an appropriate age. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think that uh, I would like that too. I mean, I, I don't wish this on anyone obviously. And I don't, I can't imagine, like I said, being a middle-aged person and, um, you know, still carrying it around. I think it's, it's tough, obviously, you know, to, to come to terms and to even speak it out loud to a single other person. Um, because once you do, then, you know, it becomes real and it's like, whoa, this happened to me. Um, and so I think it's important to also emphasize that, you know, a lot of people, when they disclose a past trauma, especially something like child sexual abuse, they need to be in a position and in a place in their life where they feel safe doing so. You need to be in a relationship where you feel safe. Uh, You need to be in a time and a place in your life where you feel safe. And it obviously took me almost 20 years to, to get to that point. Um, And so, you know, uh, I don't think that there's any shame in, you know, uh, waiting till you feel like you're at the point in your life where you're comfortable enough to, to deal with it. I mean, I think that that's, you know, there's all these people sometimes, you know, people in your own family saying, you know, well, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you tell us you should have told us? And it's like, I just couldn't, I was not in a place mentally, emotionally, psychologically, you know, sometimes even physically where I felt safe enough to talk about it. And I just think that it's, it's so important to underline, um, you know, like there's, there's so much that goes into deciding how and when you, you disclose and nobody except you as the survivor gets to determine the appropriate time for that. Um, you know, and then after you, after you disclose, that's when a lot of those things come spilling out. I mean, to, to circle back to something, Jeremy, that you said earlier, if the poems were, were written from anger, I certainly think some of them were, um, you know, because there's a lot to be angry about. And yeah. I was somebody who for a long time suppressed that anger and didn't allow myself to feel anger. And then that kind of burst out in these really uh, 
unexpected and unfortunate and unhealthy ways sometimes um, and still does to, to a certain extent. I think that I'm a lot better about it than I used to be. Um, but yeah, there, there's anger, there's sadness, there's isolation, there's longing, there's healing, there's happiness ultimately. Um, you know, there's acceptance. Um, it's, it's a whole kind of spectrum and, and journey. Right. And I've felt all of them. I felt all of them while I was reading. And uh, I just didn't know how to express what I was feeling as a child, you know. And yeah, I, I mean, that it, your, it's hard. your writing really helps people to understand what a child is going through up here in their head when these types of things are going on. Uh, I tried, you know, as, as best as I could. Um, you know, I think that it's it's really hard to explain and communicate that sense of fear and shame and isolation um, that you experience as a child when when you've been betrayed and, and abused. And it's tough to go back and sit in that place and and be in that in that mind frame, but I think that it's, it's really necessary. I mean, I think that, you know, it was interesting after the book was accepted by Stillhouse, um, you know, I wound up writing a ton more poems that got put into the book and we added poems and took poems out and edited and, um, you know, shaped the collection into what it is now, but, you know, my editors really encouraged me to write more poems about my childhood and Mm -hmm. specifically about things that were not directly addressing or related to the abuse itself. Um, And I think that that was really important because it hopefully helps kind of you know, make things a little bit more three-dimensional and provides this, you know, mosaic of, of what life was like. Um, because, you know, it, uh, I, my childhood wasn't all bad. You know, I grew up in a nice middle-class, you know, family you know, with, with a childhood that was full of a lot of happiness. It just so happened that there was this dark rot in the middle of it that, you know, kind of was silently spreading out. And uh, I think it's, it's important when we're, we're doing this work to kind of make ourselves uncomfortable a little bit sometimes and to, to go back there, because if you don't, then you don't really come to terms with it and you don't move on. You know, it's called post traumatic stress, you know, for a reason it's, it's after the trauma and you have to address the trauma if you're going to heal and move on. Yeah. It's funny. Um, as you were talking, I was smiling because I was thinking I, I just came, I'm a verbal processor, you know? And so my thoughts were swirling and I thought, Oh my gosh, I have the endorsement for the book. You know, here's my little blurb to give, except it won't be a blurb. It'll be like three pages, paragraphs of me talking, but, um, for me to read your book. And so this is kind of speaking to 
people that are supporting someone who's unpacking um, childhood sexual abuse. I think it's imperative to read it because, you know, as Jeremy pointed out for him, it was very cathartic to see so much of his journey. You know, even if the stories are different, there's just so much uh, connection there for him. For me, when you were talking about your childhood and how, you know, there was, I love the way you said it about that visual of, you know, it's like a good childhood. There was just this darkness, you know, there was like this. And so I remember reading some of the poems. It was like, it made me, it reminded me like, there's so much more than just this trauma going on, you know? And I think that it's hard for people, especially from the outside looking in, like, what are you talking about? Your life's fine. Your life's good. What do you mean? You know, you had a good childhood. Um, So it kind of just helped paint that full picture. And the other thing is you talked about, you know, not wanting to be uncomfortable and talking about this. I mean, just, we've seen it in our own life. There's a desire to sweep it, not only sweep it under the rug, but to address it and keep it very clinical and, or, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, you could insert lots of, in my opinion, excuses, Mm -hmm. um, but it keeps it very far. And there's certain words, and I apologize if this is triggering, um, but I remember reading a few of your poems and, you know, even just words like semen, ejaculation, those kind of things. It makes, you know, my first thought is, oh, that makes me uncomfortable, but that's the reality of abuse. And I think for someone who's supporting someone walking through this, it may be really uncomfortable, but that's not my reality. And I think to just understand a little bit more of the seriousness and the trauma and whatnot. Um, it's just something that as we've walked this out, Jeremy did a lot of writing. Um, that's, you know, I'm a verbal processor. He writes and what he's felt comfortable sharing over the last two and a half years. Um, there's just been times where I read certain things and it, it caught me off guard, but I was so thankful to read it because it just reminded me how real it is. And I think that not everyone feels comfortable sharing their story and nor should they, you know, no one owes you their story. And that's why I'm just even more grateful for your book, because it's something that if you know someone, you need to read it because you need to see the reality of it, you know, Um, and the full picture of it, you know, the good times, you know, I was thinking of uh, the one poem it was. um, Well, what a bed takes in. Yeah. What about what a bed takes in that one in particular, you know, just things like that, that I just feel like, these things need to be talked about. You know, I don't, I can't think of a pretty way to say it, but it's just, it's reality. And I think that to deny someone's reality and to deny the reality of what we're really talking about just makes it easier to sweep the trauma under the rug and not address it. So. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I think that you have to confront these things head on, even if it makes you uncomfortable. I mean, that's, that's the whole point is that of course it makes you uncomfortable. Why wouldn't it? It, it totally should. Good, yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, that's the whole point is that, you know, you look at it in the face, you address it and you try to reckon with it. You come to terms with it. You try to understand as best as you can, you know, what happened, why it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And the answers that you come up with are probably not going to be perfect or complete. 
Um, but you, you try to do the best you can. And I think that that is the bravest thing that any survivor or any person who's gone through a trauma can, can do is to, to try to make sense of it after, after it's happened. Um, you know, uh, I've been called, um, by my brother, uh, a coward for not sort of talking about it with him man to man, you know, and, and for going public about things. Um, I don't accept that label. Um, I think that it's, it's cowardly not to address it. It's cowardly not to talk about it publicly. It's cowardly not to confront these things head on and name them and not shy away from talking about exactly what it is that happened. That's, that's how I see it, you know, and, and a lot of these things are very sort of connected to whatever the family systems dynamic was, if it happened within a family. And um, early on, I remember my therapist saying something to me like, you know, and she's somebody who's done this kind of trauma work for 20 plus years. Um, so I think that, you know, she knows of, of where she speaks. And she said, um, basically in her experience, uh, when child sexual abuse has happened within a family, um, there's one of two routes that it can take typically when the person who's been abused decides to disclose that the abuse happened. Either everybody sort of like gets together in a room and you work through it and you, you deal with it together as a family and it's not swept under the rug or, you know, the, the person who's been abused and their family kind of go separate ways. And um, uh, unfortunately that's, you know, that the latter scenario is kind of where I am right now um, with my parents. Um, and it's tough. Look, it, it's, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay it or, or say that it's easy to come to, to terms with this, you know, especially if it's within a family. Um, Cause it's not, it's not easy on anybody, but I think that, you know, the overriding concern should be for the person who was abused because they didn't have the support and the love and the attention that they needed as a child and yes, now they're seeking it as an adult and they're not a child anymore, but they still need that. And when you don't get that after you've disclosed this really horrific trauma, uh, it, you know, it only serves to compound things and, and really make you feel even more alone and feel like, wow, did I do something wrong by disclosing this? Because I'm getting all this kind of negative reaction. Yeah. Well, Phil, thank you so much. Um, I feel like we just cracked the surface, so we might have to have you back if you're willing to come back another time. Uh, Absolutely. To dive into this more. Appreciate you staying on longer for everyone listening. I think your book is truly important for both survivors to read, to connect, um, knowing that they're not alone, and also for anyone who loves or supports a survivor to really be drawn into the story, drawn into their experience. And because even if it's, as Jeremy said earlier, even if it's a different experience, there's just so many similarities. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not normally a poetry reader. And I, I went faster through it than Jeremy did because 
one probably just our different reading styles, you know, I had to take um, my time. <laughs> and he of course had to take his time because it was a lot more triggering, but I still got so much from it. Just, you know, just, it was like going through that journey, the, the, your childhood, your adulthood, unpacking it, the experiences. And so I can truly say, I really think everyone needs to read this to, to understand it better. Um, your book is just a great way to take that next level to kind of make that emotional connection and not just an intellectual connection to this trauma. So, yeah. Well, I really, I appreciate that. And again, for your listeners, the the book is called uh, how to bury a boy at sea um, and it's available now. Definitely. We'll have a link to that. Um, And we'll also have links at the back of your book. You also have resources. And so we'll be sure to share those resources as well, as well as a copy to the book. And, you know, we've had some other authors on here and I think it's important to support the work that you do because, um, you know, we need to share more stories. So thank you both for sharing today and being here. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle, where we explore growth and healing through vulnerable conversation. Our hope is that you feel seen and find tools for growing resiliency and tackling your own growth and healing. Be sure to subscribe and check out the VIPs and other resources at samanthaspittle.com. This has been a Spitfire production. thing I've ever heard.